You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. We are into the new academic year. There has been much hand-wringing in the weeks leading up to the start of the new semester, particularly for public schools. HPR's Ashley Mizzou has been tracking the drama, and she tells us it's been a mixed bag so far. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So what are you hearing from out in the field? So Hawaii Public Schools started last week, Monday, and this is after schools were supposed to start actually on August 4th, but then that was pushed back to August 17th by the Board of Education. The time was supposed to allow for more training for teachers before students returned to campus, which meant, you know, learning to take safety precautions, but also to better understand how to do distance learning. Some teachers found the training helpful, but others found it very redundant. It was just a little bit of a mixed bag. Either way, though, it was mandatory from the Department of Education that the teachers completed these trainings before the start of school. The state decided at the beginning of August that they would then go to full distance learning for the first month of school. So that's until about September 14th because the COVID case load is just so high. But a couple of schools decided that they wanted to do the first week of school in person to pick up learning materials and teach and train students, and in some cases, also parents how to use the technology. And it's basically the individual school principal's decision on whether or not they would do that in person or at a distance during that first week. So what were you hearing from the teachers? Yeah, it was pretty mixed. I got to speak to John Medeiros, a language arts teacher at Kauai High School the Friday before school started, and his wife is also a public school teacher, and his daughters are also, they also attend public school. I'm excited by the process of getting to meet my students, but I'm also worried about it. In the back of my head, I'm trying to push it back because I know that it's out of my control to a certain extent, but in the back of my head, I'm worried. My girls go back to their schools on Monday. My wife goes back to her school on Monday. I go back to mine. Nobody actually knows where the virus is, and I'm concerned about everybody's safety. I mean, I feel like maybe it's too dark to say, but like if kids go back to schools, there will definitely be sick kids, and that's scary. And then I also spoke with Sarah Mililanta Laffin. She's a STEM teacher at Lima Intermediate in Eva Beach, and she kind of helped me walk through her day at school so we talked periodically throughout the day. It's 7.23 a.m. and I just pulled into the parking lot at Alima Intermediate. The parking lot's already pretty packed, which I can tell teachers like me, we didn't get much sleep last night as we kind of are excited for this day to start. And then on her way to school on Monday, a parent texted her saying that they wouldn't really be comfortable sending their child to class in person after all. So that student will be joining virtually. And that's fine. I mean, to me, that gives me a little comfort of less kids in person in my classroom. But also, I want the families to make decisions that work for them. And I'm glad they were able to do that. And Lappin said that she felt her school did a good job disinfecting the campus and created clear frames teachers could use to shield themselves while working with students. And I caught up with her a little more into her first day. It's lunchtime in the Alima Courtyard. Students are getting their lunch and then they can eat outside or in the cafeteria as long as they're keeping that six feet distance. For middle schoolers, we have to remind them a few times to make sure they're in line correctly, but it's working really well. They're listening and everybody is getting back to the school routine. And so what are the students feeling? What do the students have to say? I'm lucky because my very patient younger brother, Cody Kikuna, was a senior at Moanalua High School, so I got to talk to him about his experience. I've kind of got to uh, watch him throughout the past couple of months as he has been navigating the distance learning and the back-to-school drama on the student end. Um, Moanalua was supposed to go back to school 
Classic Monday to do in-person training, but at the very last minute decided not to, and parents were notified late the Sunday before that they would actually be doing distance learning and not going back to school at all for in-person training for that first week of school. So here's how he says he feels about how school has been the past few months. He's missed milestones like orchestra and band concerts, sports tournaments, and like fun extracurriculars like prom, as many students have across the country. There's just been like a huge gap in my life for the past months that I haven't been to school. And at first it felt really cool because, you know, obviously there's no school. So it's like, but then after a while, this gap just kind of felt like too long. I guess I'm kind of bummed that like this is how we have to end our four years of high school. And I would really want it to go differently, but can't really do anything about it. How I'm just kind of feeling is I'm just kind of here and just sitting around and just waiting for like everything just to go back. And he said, although distance learning efforts from his teachers varied at the end of last year, some met virtually with students multiple times a week and others not at all. This time it was a lot more consistent, but it's been really difficult to focus on school during distance learning. For me, it's just overall responsibility and staying on track. In school, it's really easy to just get in that mindset of I need to be here and I need to study and I need to do my work. But then when I'm at home, I get distracted very easily. So it's like when I'm in that mode, I stay in that mode for a little bit, but then I'll be like, oh, you know, I need to go eat or I want to play games. So what's your sense as to when, you know, the schools will be uh, going back to in-person learning back in the classroom? Technically, the DOE says distance learning is supposed to continue through September 11th, and then a phase in person will start September 14th, but that could be extended through the entire first quarter. They'll determine that on September 8th, or until notified people by September 8th. But the teachers union filed a complaint with the State Labor Relations Board over working conditions. They say that it's become hazardous because of COVID-19 for teachers. And the union also took legal action against the state and filed a class grievance for violating the teacher's contract, although it's still unclear yet on how that will actually affect back to school. Teachers like Lappin wore a black shirt on her first day of school in solidarity with the teachers union over concerns that there's been a lack of leadership in planning the return to school. The union has been unable to get written guidance from the State Department of Health on specific procedures if a student becomes sick or when a school should close. Teachers are also supposed to be getting PPE, personal protective equipment, but a lot of it hasn't really come in yet. It sounds like Madero said that he had only been supplied a spray bottle of cleaning solution, one bottle of hand sanitizer, and five disposable masks, and he was teaching all week in person that first week of school. The union also thought that there's been a lack of transparency from the Department of Education about notifying people when there's been a COVID case on school campuses, although now the department says it's going to release the complex area where infections happen and in, in select cases of schools. But Lafton was trying to be optimistic about the school year still. I think I speak for many teachers when I say being an educator isn't just what I do, it's who I am and who we are. And we're meant to be with our students face to face, but we also are able to onboard them, which is what we did today, to be ready for virtual learning. They have the tools, they have the knowledge, they know a little bit from last quarter of how it went. So we're ready to take this learning energy and learning environment online so that students can be safe and teachers can be safe. So now we're in full distance learning this week. It's halfway through September, 
And although the governor and the mayor have urged people to stay home from work if possible or work from home if possible, um, teachers are exempt from that, and they still have to come to campus to teach classes. And it's important to also note that special education teachers in particular, because of federal guidelines, but also English language learner teachers and those who have vulnerable students, which some think could even mean very disadvantaged students, they still will have to work with students face-to-face during this distance learning time as COVID-19 continues to be really high and prevalent in the state. Yeah, and we are seeing those numbers of cases of uh, younger people getting COVID. So, yeah, it is a concern for everybody. But thanks so much, Ashley, for that update. Yeah, thanks. We have been talking to HBR reporter Ashley Mizuo about this first week of distance learning in our public schools. Civil Bead has a developing story about a particular online program that critics say is racist. That's the focus of today's Reality Check. Education reporter Suvan Lee joins us today. Good morning. Hi, Catherine. How are you? So, yeah, this has uh, been something that's it's moving fast, right? I mean, I, I saw that there was one school that canceled it this weekend, but there's more. Yeah, so the story today is about the Acellus Learning Accelerator, which is the online distance learning platform that hundreds of Hawaii DOE schools are currently using as many kids are out of the classroom and started the school year. Um, it's a it's a mainland company that's offered this online curriculum. It's been around since the 90s, so it's, a, it's quite an old company. Um, Um, organization, I guess they would call themselves, but it's a curriculum that the DOE purchased for use by uh, public school kids as we um, are in this distance learning mode. And the controversy stems around the content that's offered in this curriculum. Many of the lessons that parents and teachers, or parents rather, have reported these um, lessons containing Um, include inappropriate, age-inappropriate, suggestive, racist, and just kind of creepy material. Um, You can see for yourself if you click on some of the links in my story, which also links to a change.org petition started by one of these elementary school parents, which does clearly lay out some of the um, um, clips that are included in the content. live content, rather, that had not been pulled by Acellus, the company, uh, prior to these allegations coming to light. So, yes, this is a uh, developing story in that schools are pulling the program, um, including three elementary schools as of Monday, and I've since learned another elementary school this morning. Now, you know, when I first saw some of the social media um, stuff that was floating around this weekend, At first I thought, gosh, did someone hack into their system and just post this really inappropriate content? Uh, Have you been able to get a hold of the the company at all? Um, I did not talk to Acellus. However, the founder, Roger Billings, is the founder, um, I would say uh, a person who um, puts his biography quite, quite out there on the Internet. You can... Google him and see for yourself the 
uh, types of inventions and patents he claims to hold. Now, um, while there has been a lot of speculation about his past and his history, um, his connection to the education system itself, this online component of his um, business dealings is what's what's is what is at the focus of the story so um this person roger billings actually created a video and a petition countering the change.org petition that the um that i just mentioned um he refutes some of the claims that the parents have raised and this video apparently was pulled overnight so while it was available yesterday he posted it to a personal website and his Facebook it's no longer available okay yeah because I didn't see it there uh, um, I mean I was looking at the website yesterday um, and uh, was just kind of curious you know like how many schools in Hawaii use this but wasn't able to really get you know that info from the Department of Education well, the numbers that I was given is um, we were at about 121 DOE schools out of about 257 DOE schools was turning to Acellus this fall. I've since learned that that number is now up to about 188 schools, but that does include charter schools. I asked for an exact breakdown between DOE traditional schools and public charter schools, and I didn't get that answer. But suffice to say that up to half, possibly more than half, of DOE schools are using Acellus. I do want to point out that teachers are also delivering original curriculum from their classrooms, but that many families chose Acellus early on when the DOE was offering a hybrid model. So families that didn't want to go in, didn't want to send their kids back to school, but wanted to do full distance were only given the option to use a content like Acellus. So they were locked in to these um, agreements for up to the semester for as long as the entire school year. So they're kind of in a bind. Now, the the uh, letter that I saw with the principal said that uh, while they were counseling it uh, at Aliumanu that they there were still some other programs that they could use. So hopefully the kids aren't just hung out to dry there. We hope so, too. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Suvon. You bet. Thank you. That was reporter Suvon Lee with today's Reality Check. Read the story online at civilbeat.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa, offering Master of Science programs in finance, marketing, and information systems. Scheidler.hawaii.edu. The news and music you hear on HBR are helped made possible by nearly 200 local organizations, reaching you with their message and making a difference every day. Hawaii Care Choices and Castle and Cook Homes Hawaii, Coral Ridge. They believe just as you do in the power of public radio. See a full list of our underwriters at hawaiipublicradio.org. This morning we hear from former Governor uh, George Ariyoshi. He served from 1974 to 1986. Back then he had a strong vision for tourism and was concerned about the state's carrying capacity and dependency on the visitor industry. His ideas included sustainability and the need to expand agriculture. These issues haven't gone away and in fact are more important than ever. 
He thinks the concept for the Big Island's Ocean Science Technology Park under the authority of the Natural Energy Laboratory should be expanded, and he still believes that we aren't doing enough for Native Hawaiians. Here's Hawaii Governor Ariyoshi as he reflects back and looks ahead to our recovery. Tourism became a very important part of the future. You know, we are limited during the middle of the ocean. We are limited on the kind of thing we can do. But tourism was a very important economic factor for us. We pushed hard to tourism. We got going. But we also had, within the state and county itself, a vision for how people can live. And it was very important for us to have the rules established so that people can live very peacefully with one another. That meant that we don't have things that we don't want to see happen. No business in residential area. And it's tourism but not affecting, not having people go into the regions, uh, re- residential areas. And so that was a vision. We had the tourism, and we did very well. People were very happy. The tourists came. They had a good time here, but they did not interfere with living in the districts that they live in. And I think that's what is important, a vision to have people come but not get too involved in the residential area. And I believe that we ought to get tourism back as much as possible, but not to create very unsafe problems there. Safety and recovery from the virus is number one. Then the economic activities have become secondary. Oh, try to work it out together. The recovery, number one. And then have tourism come back, but come back to that. They come and they stay at hotels and they do things at everything, but they don't interfere with the peaceful living of people and living in Hawaii. If you look at our state, we are completely and totally surrounded by the ocean. We're a great distance, 2,000 miles away from any landmass. So we are an isolated island. Then we have to look at what are resources. Our ocean, we ought to take advantage of our ocean and do whatever we can in order to get benefits from the ocean. We looked at that, and I had know-how, things that were important there. We, we did many things. I think it's important for us to look at what we are. It's the sky above us, and the sky above us belongs to us. And we ought to be the ones who can look at it and create activities in the ocean and the R&D that comes from that to make it possible for us to be a better community. So I think tourism is important. We ought to get that back. I think for us to look at the ocean activities, we ought to look at getting more activities like prawns and lobsters and oysters that are created, abalone that are created here. We ought to actually look at are there other things that we can create from the ocean and see what can we do done because of the air. The Natural the Energy Lab that you talked about, NELH, uh, yeah, they've, they've done many of those things, but you think we should do more? Yes, I do. should not be stopping at what NELH did, but from there we should ask, what else can we create elsewhere besides just an LLG and create more jobs like that? So you're talking about sustainability, agriculture? I created many ag parks, and you taking state land and created some of those parks. But you know, you go look at agriculture today. And the agriculture that we grew before here depended on the farmers. And there are many farmers who became farmers from the time they graduated from high school, became farmers, and became very important to grow things. But they're getting old, too. And we've got to be sure that we get new people coming in. And new people coming in by saying 
what new countries, new activities, how they can get involved in farming. And that kind of thing has become very important. We go look at be sure that we look at what kind of ways that you can use pesticides in order to take care of some of those problems and ways we can do it in a safe way. I feel very strongly that we've got to have grow more things here. And then we've got to go to the market and promise growing things unless they can sell the product aren't going to be very successful. So we've got to go to the market. We've got to say, buy local products. Any other thoughts about how we survived this pandemic? I'm hopeful, but I think there's a need for all this to tell us what the problem is, what has to be done, you know, take care of it, what we must do to stay away from each other as much as possible, the social distancing, and everything else that needs to be done. And then we need to find out when somebody gets the virus, we need to find out how did they get it. Who did they get it from? Who find these people who are who might have caused us pass this on to others and try to get down to root of the problem. Any other thoughts that you have just about the state of our economy and and some of the ideas that you had warned about, you know, when you were in office? What else can we do here in Hawaii? Not just jobs coming here. Are there products that can come from the ocean? Are there products that can, that can come from this airspace? And try to see whether we can get... And by the way, when saying that, I feel very... I'm very strong support of CMT. I think it's so important to Hawaii because it's airspace. We have to do everything we can to do what we can find in the air and create job activities. And what do you say to the Hawaiians? I would say to them... And what to talk about the growth and change in the in the era, we're talking about not non-Hawaiian. We're talking about job activities, efforts for every person, including the Hawaiian. And I would be willing to go along, and I would support the effort to provide a monument or something to some ways to express our gratitude and our support for those who feel that. That's necessary. I also feel that we also must do more things in outside of TMT. I was very strong support of all the activities that Hawaiian Homestead ran. We got to do more there. I doubled the number of homes within a four-year period on Hawaiian Homestead. I think we had about about twelve thousand homes. I got additional twelve thousand. We had twenty-four thousand in a four-year period. When you create these things, create more activities. And for the Hawaiians, for them to be able to utilize what they can. I also feel very strongly that we've got to get the Hawaiian organization concentrating on how they can help to make the economy better. And how they can make the economy better in ways that they get involved. We have money that go to OHA. And that's some of that money being used to help Hawaiians build economic activities. They can become good, responsible business owners. So you think that there can be peace on the mountain and we can still prosper in some way with jobs? That's right. Build more homes for Hawaiians so they get live on Hawaiian homeland. More economic activity for Hawaiians. And taking money that go to Iho'oha 
you find ways in which those monies can be used to get business people, Hawaiian business people, started in business. So that they will be good business people instead of just having to find work for somebody else. So make that right. Make them whole. I think we should help them. We should tell them. A group should be talking about doing that kind of stuff. What can Hawaiians do? How can Hawaiians be helped to do something campaign? And what do they want them to do? Want them to be? Do we want them to be leaders also in government and in business also? And that was part of a conversation we had with former Governor George Ariyoshi yesterday afternoon about our economic recovery. Tomorrow we hear from the governor about the 75th anniversary of the end of the war. Ariyoshi served as an interpreter with the Military Intelligence Service at the end of World War II and would later become Hawaii's first Japanese-American governor. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Honolulu Habitat for Humanity, dedicated to the idea that everyone should have a decent place to live and committed to bringing people together to build homes. HonoluluHabitat.org Join us tonight at 8 p.m. on HPR2 for the next in our Hawaii Symphony Orchestra broadcasts. It's a celebration of Beethoven's 250th anniversary when Oahu Choral Society sings under the direction of artistic advisor Joanne Falletta. Plus, we'll hear a moving performance of Tchaikovsky's Francesca de Rimini. That's today at 8 p.m. on HPR2, your home for classical music. Sponsored by Furniture Plus Design. We continue our look at job opportunities around the islands during these COVID times. Earlier this month, the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii held a virtual job fair that included employers at virtual booths and keynote speakers. Sherry Menor McNamara is the head of the chamber, and she spoke with the Conversations' Jason Ubai about its website, hawaiiishiring.com, a one-stop shop with resources on current jobs and available training. We are aware Hawaii had one of the lowest, if not the lowest, unemployment rate in the nation to the highest as soon as COVID-19 hit our state. And so we knew we had to act quick and to find every possible avenue to get those that were let go or furloughed to be able to get jobs back, maybe not in the job that they had, but in other careers. Uh, and so that's why we came about with HawaiiIsHiring.com, and it's a one-stop uh, center website that brings existing resources together so that job seekers can look at all the jobs that are posted, uh, what jobs match their skill sets, as well as jobs on each island. Uh, and this couldn't have been possible without the partnership with Workforce Development Council, as well as American Savings Bank, Hawaii Executive Collaborative, University of Hawaii Community Colleges, and Upspring Media. So you can see it's a, a true public-private partnership that came together to fill the void and the need to quickly get our unemployed back to work. So when job seekers go to the website, as soon as what they'll see is a virtual career explorer. So essentially, I'm ready to find a job or I just graduated, what's my next move? I wanna get training or education for a different job. 
I want to attend a virtual job fair or event, or I need support or relief. So really, it's for those who just lost their jobs, those who had just graduated, and those who want to switch careers. Uh, and what's great about this is that you can fill out the survey, and then it will show you what kind of jobs you would qualify for. And also list the top 10 companies hiring now and the top 10 occupations. And currently, there's 22,000 jobs posted. Not nearly enough for what we need to get people back in jobs, but at least it's something. And the quicker we can get people back working, the, the faster we can recover from this economic uh, downturn. As of today, we had more than 64,000 visits to the website. So you can see there's overwhelming interest in finding uh, these different career opportunities. And just recently, we had a, our first ever virtual job fair. Of course, uh, nothing like having a event in person, but we have to adjust and adapt according to time. So we did it virtually. And actually, because of the technology and tools available out there, uh, it went well. And we had more than 500 attendees who were able to visit virtual expos, do networking, and hear from keynote speakers, including one from Indeed.com. So they got to hear from keynotes as well as lawyers who had experts there as well as networking. And also tips, uh, how to write the proper resume, how to effectively go through a job interview. So it was a wide variety of resources offered to those who are interested in seeking career opportunities. Uh, and this will be ongoing because we know there will be a need. And so while many have lost their jobs and some businesses are hurting, industries are hurting, there are other industries that are still in need of finding employees to fill the jobs. What are the main industries looking for workers right now? It varies from retail salespersons to supervisors, registered nurses, customer service reps, delivery drivers, security guards, uh, managers, stock clerks, computer user support specialists. Uh, so those are the top 10 occupations. The top companies hiring now are some national ones, such as CVS Health Corporation, Army National Guard, Kaiser Permanente, Department of Navy, Hawaii Pacific Health, and then you have the DoorDash, Pizza Huts, and then Bayada Home Healthcare, a local company here, uh, as well as a number of others. So again, there's over 22,000 jobs posted right now, and you can search according to the island as well as your skill sets as well. Some of the in-demand industries actually are healthcare, building and construction, as well as natural resources. It's easy to navigate. That's what's great about this website. Now, a lot of times uh, we need to go to different websites to get different types of information, but truly this is a one-stop center where they can see what jobs are available, but also get training, uh, find ways uh, to get more training, whether you want to upscale or you need to transfer your skill sets and gain also short-term uh, certificates. As far as the job outlook, what are you seeing from the, the chamber? What do you see from your member companies and just kind of businesses in general? What is the outlook for the next few months? Yeah, the next few months, uh, quite frankly, doesn't look great. And I think we're looking at more than just the next few months. We're looking a long road uh, to recovery. Uh, we partner with Hero as well as a number of business organizations across the state, and the numbers uh, look pretty grim. When we polled our members back in April, 6% said they would not be able to survive COVID. In August, that jumped to 17%. That's nearly 180% uh, jump. 
that businesses will not be able to survive COVID-19. So, you know, we need to do everything we can to save those businesses who are still operating, to help them sustain their operations, to help them through this really challenging and difficult uh, and devastating time for our economy. Um, and as you know, when businesses shut down, jobs will be lost, and we cannot let that happen. And so it needs to be a true public-private effort to support and help our local businesses survive this time. That was Sherry Minor McNamara, President and CEO of the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii, talking about their new jobs resource and the economic outlook. Business owners can call the new Small Business Help Center by dialing COCH now or uh, 808-262-4669. You can find links on our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, committed to the community's health with a temporary museum closure and offering digital experiences at honolulumuseum.org. I'm Stephen Dubner. On the next Freakonomics Radio, is the pursuit of endless economic growth the wrong goal? How do we create economies that are compatible with Earth's capacity to regenerate resources and absorb our wastes? And one city that is aggressively overhauling its economic framework. The biggest worry that people in Amsterdam have is, can I live in Amsterdam? Growth versus degrowth. That's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Tonight at 7, following Counterspin. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Mid-Pacific Institute's School of the Arts, offering intensive and immersive arts training, now accepting applications for the 2021-2022 school year, midpac.edu. Home improvement projects are on the rise this year with so many people working at home. The Conversations Harrison Patino spoke with realtor Eric Taniguchi, who's with Keller Williams Honolulu, about the kind of renovation projects underway in the current state of Hawaii's housing market. Well, you know, a lot of people are working on their home now. If you go down to Home Depot, it's crowded. It's packed. Uh, lumber prices are look, looking to be on the rise. And it looks like a lot of people are updating their homes right now. So what kind of projects are really popular during this time? You know, we're seeing, you know, a lot of folks are cooking, baking. A lot of folks are making bread. And so people are doing kitchen renovations, simple things around the house to brighten and freshen it up, uh, like with paint, flooring, and Home gardening has been really popular right now. Now, I would have thought that most people would be putting off this kind of work just because of the pressure and the stress involved sometimes with home improvement. I guess that's not the case. Yeah, I think people are just you know, working with their budget, and being that they're home and they have the time, they're looking just to upgrade their home and, and, and do some work around the house, especially adding a home office, whether it's adding an addition or having an area for, people, for um, parents to have their kids study at home. Obviously, home ownership in Hawaii is pretty costly by any means. So are there any tips you have for home improvement for the income constraint? I do. I do. Uh, I think ultimately it's just getting your credit in, in place, definitely having the work history, and, and, and it's difficult for some folks right now. I do have a tip that might be helpful for, for some folks. It's called house hacking. It's a great way for new and young investors to jump into the real estate market um, you know, experienced investors, we have other strategies for them. But with house hacking, it, what you're able to do is purchase a home, 
with a minimal down payment loan. A lot of folks think you have to save up 20% down to purchase the home, but it's actually not true. You can actually find loans with 3.5% down. And with house hacking, you purchase a home with a low down payment, you rent out a portion of your home to help pay for the mortgage. And I'm, kind of, I'm currently doing it on my primary residence now. And it's, it's actually helping to pay more than half of the mortgage. And now I get a chance to own a five-bedroom house. And for basically about the same amount of money that I was paying and spending when my wife and I were renting a one-bedroom condo, but now we own a five-bedroom property and we get the tax write-offs and all the benefits of being a homeowner. Well, I know in my generation, at least, the idea of home ownership is regarded with a whole lot of trepidation, and, and sometimes it's even viewed as a necessary evil. Are you seeing a lot of young buyers, or do you think this pandemic will change how people view home ownership? You know, we're seeing actually a lot of young homeowners jump into the market, and mainly due because right now we are experiencing historically low interest rates. It's incredibly low, so you can jump into the market right now and makes it a perfect time. And, you know, especially for folks that um, looking to be here in place, of course, if you're going to be moving away uh, and traveling, maybe it's going to be a different uh, game plan that, that you put in place. But if you're going to be here for a while, homeownership is very attainable, and we can actually show folks how to do that. Now, as we're talking about home updates and home ownerships, I have to ask, are people actually putting their homes out on the market right now? Absolutely. We're actually seeing a lot of activity right now. A lot of uh, homeowners are actually putting their properties on the market. And in most areas, we're seeing a lot of activity, not all. But a perfect example, we had a first open house in Kapahulu. We drove 62 groups to our first open house. And I just presented seven offers to our clients who are on the mainland. And they're ecstatic because we got them much higher than their asking price. What's really great was two weeks prior, uh, we had a first open house in Wilhelmina. And we actually had 81 groups to that open house with 10 offers presented, and we got much higher. So I think a lot of it comes down to um, if you're looking to sell, now's a great time. And I think there's a small window of opportunity because uh, interest rates are low. Activity is great right now, but I think things might change soon because unemployment's high and presidential elections are coming up towards the end of the year. And whenever it's uh, we look back historically, the market tends to soften when we get closer to presidential elections. Now, would you say it's more of a buyer's or a seller's market right now in the housing market? You know, I, I would consider it more of a transition market. Hawaii runs on a 7- to 10-year real estate cycle, and we came out of our longest appreciating market in Hawaii's history with 12 years of appreciation, which was just incredible. And the peak of the market was at the end of 2018. Prices took a slight dip, but prices are maintaining and holding. And um, so we're, in, uh, we're out of the seller's market right now, and we're not quite in a buyer's market. Activity's still good, so it's more like a transition market we're in right now. now. Are we seeing a lot of people buying homes from within the state, or are you seeing a lot of out-of-state buyers? Majority of the buyer activity is going to be within the state and local buyers. And, you know, international buyer activity completely went down right now because they can't travel in. But where we're seeing some an uptick in activity on the luxury single-family home market from a lot of mainland buyers and mainly the West Coast, well, Eric, in a time of nonstop bad news, have you been taking any of the time to do any home improvement on your end? Actually, yes. We're in a process of renovating a house right now, so we're almost complete, and we will be making the, the move in about a few weeks. That was realtor Eric Taniguchi talking with uh, the Conversations' Harrison Patino about home improvement projects and the state of the industry in this time of COVID-19.
Looking for something else to read to divert your attention during these stressful COVID times? Why We Swim is a new book out. Bay Area author Bonnie Sui is familiar with Hawaii waters and had expected to fly to the islands this summer for a family wedding, but COVID disrupted those plans. We reached out to her at her home in Berkeley, California, to talk about her book, which made the New York Times bestseller list. It's a collection of short stories covering swimming over the ages in the pool and in the open ocean. Here's Bonnie Sui. I have had, you know, a long, lifelong relationship with the water with my parents, you know, meeting in a swimming pool in Hong Kong and my brother and I just growing up with swimming lessons and swim team and going to Long uh, going to Jones Beach on, on Long Island like every summer and spending, you know, so much time, um, family time was spent together swimming. And we also became lifeguards and, and then sort of like I think after – it was really only in, in sort of the recent years of kind of thinking about the arc of the, the role of swimming in my own life, which is that it evolved over time, you know, and I still swim today, but it's really for different reasons. And I started to think about what those reasons were, you know, in the beginning, it was, of course, you know, survival and, you know, and then the fun and joy of being a kid in the water and, you know, competition with swim team. And, and then over the last, you know, decade or so of my life, you know, just like exploring open water, surfing, you know, becoming the parent of two kids and kind of like swimming back to myself after, you know, swimming through pregnancy and up until the day, like each of my kids was born, um, that, uh, it became something else, you know, it did something else for me. And um, I wanted to explore what that was. So it was a kind of a real metaphor for you. Yeah, it really was. And, um, and, and as I kind of thought about what this book would look like, or sort of what shape or structure it would take, I just started collecting, it was hard to figure it out. I, start, I started collecting stories and talking to people about swimming and getting little, little, like, historical facts and details and things and putting them in this folder on my computer, uh, I would say probably like six years ago. And then I, you know, once I kind of got enough material, I would like write stories for magazines and newspapers that kind of like tangentially touched on some of the things that I was kind of exploring. And, And once I kind of got, you know, a bunch of writing done, I just needed to figure out how to you know, put it all together. And so I, after talking with this really smart editor friend of mine, just, you know, who said, you know, you've got so much great stuff here, so many great stories. What about just calling it something as simple as why we swim? And then when she said that, everything just kind of seemed to me to shake out into these five different thematic ways of answering that question. And that's just the way the book is structured. So survival, well-being, community, competition, and flow. And it just really made sense to me that that was the structure of the book. Well, I love it because, you know, you talk about swimming in Hawaii. And so it's just kind of nice. It was my way to relate to it, too, knowing mm. that, that you've been in our waters. And I think that my connection to Hawaii through, you know, dear, dear friends of mine for the last, uh, like, 20-plus years is that that means that I feel a loyalty and, a, and a, an appreciation, a deep appreciation for the role that swimming plays in island life and just like the water man, the water woman, like just that, that tradition, I think, is so profound to me. And I, and I felt that it was really important to include that history and that culture, cultural lineage, you know, going back, back, back to when that the Hawaiians always, you know, had this profound relationship with the water and that that was just 
part of their part of life. You live in the Bay Area now, and I love how you talk yeah. about doing the Alcatraz swims, which I never mm. ventured uh, into those waters <laughs> to do because that water was always so cold. Well, it, I know it's so cold. Like nothing is like the water where you are right now. <laughs> the water here is, I mean, maximum oh maybe like sixty-two. Mm-hmm. And that feels balmy, you know. I mean, that feels really warm. But it has recently dropped more back into the 50s lately just because it's been so overcast in the mornings, like the sort of, Ju- you know, June and July gloom. There's fog, and, and then it burns off, and then it's a sunny day. But in the mornings, it feels like the dead of winter here. <laughs> yes, it's mighty cold, mighty cold. <laughs> what I enjoy, too, is there was a section in your book where you you talk about how to swim like an assassin, you know, <laughs> right. And and so uh, the other day, I was I just kind of like lost, you know, my head, and then just said, okay, if I had a mission, you know, if I was a spy, if I had to do this, and and so it was fun to kind of lose myself in that, you know, that imagery, and and just be just laser focused on on the swim. Mm. And then mm-hmm. you you talk about you know the Navy SEALs. And, you know, like figuring out if you had to escape from bondage and, and, and your, your arms and, and, and legs were tied, how would you make your way across, you know, the ocean to safety? And so I love that imagery as well. Yeah, I really loved learning about, uh, you know, the samurai swimming and the, you know, the Nihon Eho, the, the, the Japanese classical swimming techniques and the schools of swimming that were, you know, founded by the different samurai clans because it just was... It made so much sense to me to think of it as a swimming, you know, the Japanese swimming martial art where certain skills were prized because beneficial in battle or or in some, you know, combat situation. Like how would you use, how would you devise ways of surviving the water and, and, you know, like confronting the enemy? Like it made, of course it makes perfect sense, but so many of us have never heard these stories. And so that was really part of my um, goal with this book is to kind of bring some of those stories to a wider audience. I like to swim with a monofin, and so I thought, oh, if, mm. if I was captured and I had to make my way across, I could do that. <laughs> you could just, you would probably have an edge, you know, you're already doing your like monofin dolphin. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was just it's so enjoyable, you know, on so many different levels. When I first was growing up, I almost drowned. And so when you think about, yeah, if you're swimming, you're not drowning. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a life skill you need to learn. Right, yeah. Like I, so much, as you know, like the, the, the theme of this porousness between states, right? So swimming and drowning, life and death, um, you know, ab- above water and below. It's like the, the, it's a pretty thin line. You know, that boundary line is, is – it gets very porous in, in many places. And I think especially in Hawaii where, you you know, so many of the residents spend so much time in the water and, and get intimately, um, you know, the intimate knowledge of, like, what conditions are like. And, and the Pacific is unpredictable. And you, you have to be always be sort of not knowing your place in that, in that land, in that seascape. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so how often do you get to come back to Hawaii? Oh, well, lately, not so much. Sadly, I was actually supposed to be there this summer um, for my brother-in-law's wedding and um, visiting um, a dear friend, an old friend. And I just feel so sad 
to miss all of that. You know, I mean, we're missing so many things, right? Like yes. in these in these weird times. Well, now you grew up in Long Island. Um, mm-hmm. Had you gone back there um, since you published this book? You know, actually, last summer I flew back east to see my family, and through some kind of like um, interesting like fluke of air, airplane routing, the plane flew right over. It did a pass over all of the beaches on the south shore of Long Island, and I saw, you know, the people on the water, Jones Beach Tower. Like, it was just incredible. It was like an aerial tour of beaches. And and it kind of made me tear up a little bit because it was, like, really, I had been thinking about, you know, I was thinking we were at that point, like, really wrapping up details, kind of thinking about the, you know, the book and the book tour and all these things. And, you know, it was a a moment um, of perspective and reflection to have to see the place that was so um, formative to me growing up from the air it was really neat and so when you said that a thing about getting back in the water sort of an, and it being a time of reflection I did I really did have that I thought of that last summer and and I you know I hope to have that again um, to be actually get the chance to be in the water that was Bonnie Sui, whose book, Why We Swim, made the New York Times bestseller list. We talked with Bonnie earlier this summer. For links, head to our website. And that's a wrap for today. Tomorrow, we hear more about an outbreak of COVID cases at a Big Island Hawaiian Immersion School. We would like to hear from you. Have a back-to-school story to share? Call our talkback line at 808-792-8217. You can also email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation HPR or tweet us at HI Conversation. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of The Conversation. Thank you.